as the young people go, is from Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to 5. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and... Do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We remain seated as Lynn brings us our second reading. Our second reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, beginning at chapter 2, verse 14 to the end. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood... He himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please stand as Chris comes to the pulpit to bring us our gospel reading and to speak. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory is to you, O God. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's mother, so the father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanael, the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there fasting and prayer night and day. And that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to allow all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Do please be seated. We just pray before I start to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for that mighty, powerful name of Jesus and for all that he's done for us. Pray that this morning, Lord, you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have specifically for each of us this morning. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So good morning everybody, everybody here and everybody listening online as well. It's good to be with you this morning. And um, we have three passages this morning that um, each referring to Jesus in, in actually in different ways, although they don't actually refer, all refer to him by name. But each provides a part of a picture of who he is and what he came to do and what our response to that should be. So let's have a look at each of those uh, passages in chronological order and see what they're saying to us. And then maybe we'll just step back at the end and say, well, okay, what does that mean for us today? And let me start with that Old Testament passage from Malachi. As many of you will know, Malachi is presented as the last book in the Old Testament and is followed by 400 years of silence with no prophetic utterances from God. And then, of course, we move into the New Testament. You may also know something about Malachi, especially from the, uh, um, uh, re- not the reading, from the testimony that, that Bimby gave this morning, because it's often referred to as the passage that talks about tithing, where God challenges us, challenges everyone to bring in that full tithe into the storehouse. 
And this morning we look at uh, the start of chapter 3 in the section just before that bit about bringing your full tithe into the uh, storehouse. And it starts with a reference to God sending a messenger. And actually that's quite interesting because um, firstly the word or the name Malachi actually means messenger in its own right. And as a, as a prophet he was a messenger of course from God. And it is therefore actually a little unclear as to who that messenger is that he's referring to. Is it himself, Malachi? Is it Elijah, as some have said? Maybe it's John the Baptist, as we would perhaps recognize as paving the way. Or some even say it might be a reference to Jesus himself as a messenger about what is to follow his coming. But the point is, the message points to a time that is coming when the Messiah will come. And bear in mind that we go on in the next book, as I say, into Matthew and all the Gospels as they talk about Jesus as the Messiah. And importantly, the prophetic word from Malachi is that God is sending the Lord that they, the people, are seeking. And he'll be the messenger of the covenant and he will come to his temple. Obviously, we know that's consistent, isn't it, with the theme that we hear about elsewhere in the Old Testament, that the Messiah is coming and this will bring good news. The passage highlights that it means that God will then have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will once again be pleasing to God. Righteousness will prevail before God. So that's good news, right? Well, yes, it is. But the context for this passage is that God is fed up with man continually sinning and dishonoring him. The book of Malachi is about, a ma- is about man not honoring God, but finding ways to sort of sidestep or bypass what he's asking for, what his commands are saying. It talks about presenting sick and injured animals for sacrifice for not giving their tithes back to God and generally not honouring him. So the passage goes on to talk about the Messiah coming, as we've sung, as a refining fire and says, who can stand against this? It says that he'll root out the evildoers and those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear God. So there will be those who follow the Lord, but those who do not. So the good news of the Messiah is that he will tackle sin, that he will mend mend that broken relationship with God. And we understand that now, don't we, of course, in the context of Jesus. But he will also bring challenge and division. So with that as a background, let's look at uh, the passage from Luke. The details seen from Luke is perhaps, in some ways, a little strange. It's easy to understand, I think, why Luke would highlight the fact that Mary goes down for the ritual of purification after 41 days, and that Jesus is presented to God as the firstborn dedicated to God, all showing that they sit squarely within the religious faith and traditions. 
Even actually the highlighting of the gift that they bring as required by Jewish law, two turtle doves, actually denoting that they were relatively poor, perhaps showing how Jesus would identify with the poor. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the scene is further augmented by the inclusion of two elderly members of the temple. Imagine for a moment one of our baptisms being interrupted by a couple of our seniors who jump up at the start of the service and start saying strange things about salvation and about uh, death and fulfillment and rise and fall of, of Israel. Unusual. Surprising, perhaps. But here Luke, of course, is keen to demonstrate that Jesus and the family are at one level ordinary, unremarkable. They bring their lowly offering and plan to leave and move on, it says. But God, via the Holy Spirit, has other ideas. He leads Simeon to the temple just in time to see Jesus and actually to sweep him up in his arms and prophesy over the family over Jesus proclaiming that he has come, referencing this rise and fall of many in Israel. He talks about the challenge and the choice for individuals where some accept faith and others not, linking back to that Malachi passage. And the decisions that people will face as they encounter Messiah. And also, of course, he prophesies over Mary, doesn't he? Firstly, exalting the child and then casting maybe something of a shadow over Mary, revealing that she too will suffer and a sword will pierce her soul, it says. And then Anna, another elderly woman who will be well known to everyone who goes to the temple, steps up and also prophesies over the child, praising God and sharing words about the child that she has before her. These are extraordinary events. But through this passage, Luke underpins both the humanity of Jesus and also the spiritual significance of who this child is, the long-awaited Messiah and Saviour. This event emphasises a baby, a human being set to grow up, and yet God's son. And actually, that would be a good point to move on to the Hebrews passage but before I do can we turn briefly to the final sentence of that passage here it talks about the fact that Jesus and the family returned back to their home in Nazareth and it says that the child Jesus the son of God grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him And just to digress for a moment, because I do do love that sentence. Jesus went home and grew up and grew in wisdom. That's something we might all seek after, isn't it? To grow in wisdom. And God tells us in James chapter 1 that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives generously and believing it, they will receive it. It's that simple. And therefore, I would encourage all of us to do just that, to ask God for wisdom from on high, not not the false wisdom of the world, but that which comes only from God, because it's on offer and it makes a huge difference 
makes a huge difference to our own lives and to the lives of those around us. Making wise decisions, providing wise counsel into others as they seek to struggle. And can I also mention the favour of God, which it says was upon Jesus. And why we should also, each of us, seek after this. We're all loved. We're all cherished by God. And indeed, we've all benefited from the unmerited grace, especially his saving grace. I hope we know that. I hope we all know that. But it is still open to us to seek and find the favour of God. To pray for others to receive the favour of God. It's interesting, actually, that Bimby this morning in the uh, birthday prayer, was praying for favour. Favour to rest on all of you birthday people this morning. That's a great thing to have. We've heard that Jesus had it. Many of the characters from the Bible had it. David, Enoch, Moses, Joseph, Samuel, Esther, Mary, the mother of Jesus, to name but a few. And many benefit today from God's specific favour on them. It's part of God's directional grace. And it's one of, God's me- God's, one of God's mechanisms for enabling people to accomplish things. It's both a form of blessing and also a form of underpinning for the calling that God puts on our lives. It's a terrific way to pray into a family or over an individual, asking God not only to bless them, but to favour them. Favour means that they'll be more likely to succeed, to be chosen, that things will work out because God is with them. God is favouring them, watching especially over those outcomes. You might ask for someone to be favoured for jobs and promotion, for personal or business success, or actually enhancing and building relationships, for favourable outcomes following any of our prayers, to be chosen to be accepted for anything where there are multiple outcomes then these can be prayed for in the context of God's favour so can I encourage all of us to think about God's wisdom to seek after it and to pray and ask for God's favour in our lives and in the lives of others Anyway, that's a good time to move back on to Hebrews passage where we see similar themes and an underlying message that Jesus is both man and God. Themes that are familiar within the book of Hebrews where we see the importance of Christ, both his divinity and his his experience as a man underpinning his credentials as high priest. In verse 17 it says, Therefore he has become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He's been there and done it. He's lived it. And he's conquered death. In verse 15 it says, So that through death he might destroy the one who had power over death, which is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. We now no longer need to fear death. We can look forward to eternity with Jesus. So that's what the passages say. 
Well, what does it actually mean for us, for you and for me at the start of 2023? Well, I've pulled out a few things that I think are important and I hope you find them helpful. Jesus is the saviour as promised in the Old Testament through various prophets, including today's passage from Malachi. He is the fulfilment. He is the long-awaited saviour. He is the one that will restore us to our Father, overcoming all that was lost through the Garden of Eden and sin. That is critical to all of us. Without Jesus, there would be no reconciliation with God. There would be no relationship, no release from the power of sin and death. It reminds us that Jesus has his roots within the Jewish community 2,000 years ago. But through him, it says, Gentiles would be welcomed to the Father and join in the kingdom. That means that the long-awaited Messiah was to bring good news to us, to each of us, as well as the Jewish nation. Again, without this, we'd have been lost forever alone with no hope of salvation instead of being saved and set free. It also reminds us that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Without this, how could God truly understand us as humans? People sometimes suggest, don't they, that politicians are so far removed from the day-to-day realities of many people's lives that they can't possibly understand what we're going through. Maybe they went to a top fee-paying school. Maybe they're academics. They move in such different circles to those that we do. Or they're so rich that they can never understand the difficulty of choosing between eating and heating. We have no such fear with Jesus. He came and lived amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus knows the struggles. Jesus knows the power of sin. Even though he didn't succumb to the temptations. And he hasn't built up that sin that we have that sometimes leads to bondage. Jesus knew temptation. The desire to call down those myriads of angels to protect him when the soldiers came for him. Or to save him from the cross. Jesus knew the pain of betrayal. The loneliness of separation from friends. The pain of death. Jesus knows our struggles. In Hebrews, a bit later on, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus lived as an ordinary man for 30 years. He died a painful death on a cross with the shame and the pain that went with it. He knows what we are. He knows what we're going through. Does that matter? Does it really matter at the end of the day? Well, I think it does. And clearly the Bible thinks it does. And that means God thinks it does. When we're going through pain... Anxiety, disappointment, struggles. We call out to a God who knows and understands our predicament. We sung about that God. We know him. Just as someone who has suffered in life sometimes is more able to identify with our hurts and pains and the fears that we have, God understands too. And even better than that, 
Because he's God, he knows how we're made, how we're put together. In Psalm 139, it talks about being fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. He knows our struggles and our worries. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows our hearts. He knows our relationships. He knows what we'll say even before the words are on our lips. He knows our thoughts, our plans. He knows it all. That's the God that we pray to. This is the God that loves us and promises to be with us until the end. This is the one who says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. When we pray, we can be sure that he knows what we need and also what we want and how those fit together. And that should be a huge comfort to each one of us. He doesn't tire. He doesn't sleep. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will lead us into all truth. But we have a choice to make. We have a choice to accept Jesus and to follow him, to receive all that I've talked about. Or we can reject him. We can be separated from God. We can live without Jesus now and if we continue to reject him to be separated for eternity. But if we choose Jesus when all is done he will be with him. And that's amazing. Actually it's almost unbelievable but it's true. So today as we leave here let's remind ourselves that we have Jesus and Jesus has us in the palm of his hand leading and guiding us he goes before us he goes with us in all we do there is no better friend no better saviour no other God but him so we can be encouraged brothers and sisters whatever you're facing today whatever you're thinking about in the weeks to come Wherever we go, we have a loving God who goes with us and understands us better than we know ourselves. It's amazing. It's such a privilege. It's such a blessing. And I thought, as I just finish now, I just want to read uh, a couple of verses from uh, Romans chapter 8, just to round it off. And it says in Romans, For I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.